but I'm looking at statistics about Le'Veon Bell. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at the London games that have just been announced, as well as other news from around the league, uh, taking a look at the games from last week, your questions, and then on to the picks for next week. So hey guys, uh, Connor here, we've got Harry, hey. and we got Fitz. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any scandal? I think I think you were there for all the scandal on Friday night. Mm, good fun. Ah, yeah, yeah. You 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 bailed off early though. Mm. Didn't I did. I was half dead. End. I stayed up all night watching the Chiefs game uh, and then drinking port. It was a terrible idea. I was so dead to the world the following day. Fitz <laughs> landed into town like one o'clock and didn't come out to my house till three because he just knew I'd be asleep. Yeah, this is probably fair. <laughs> I'm a considerate guest. Yeah, oh, you yeah. are. You are. No, Staying the couch out of the way. <laughs> it was good after the catch where some of the, the lads come out to the smoking area from uh, from the band. I was mm-hmm. chatting with one of them for a bit. I was really drunk, but I think he said his name was Hash, which didn't surprise me. Ah, fair all. enough, fair enough. <laughs> what did yourself, Ronan, seeing uh, you were up here for the weekend and then you got down to court today? Any any scandal down there? No, just, you know, the backlog of work that inevitably comes from a long weekend. But yeah. totally worth it, so I'm happy enough. Yeah, no, of course. I'm the same. I'm kind of in wrap down mode. I finish up for. Christmas now on Thursday at lunchtime because we're doing like uh, quizzing the office and out into town for a couple of drinkies and then I'm uh, I'm off from that point so very good looking very forward good. to that so we've got a good lot to get through today guys so we'll kind of launch straight into it uh, just there at lunchtime uh, as we were recording today on a Tuesday um, we had the announcement of the four games that's right four games that are going to be held in uh, London this year two in Wembley and two in Twickenham we have a interesting collection. Baltimore at Jacksonville, New Orleans at Miami, Minnesota at Cleveland, and Arizona at the Rams. This is a, let's be honest, a fucking god-awful slate of games that they've put on, isn't it? You feel that there is an element now, and I think we mentioned this last year even, when we were looking at the games they chose for Wembley or the teams that volunteered, or however it is, whatever combination of things they they do to pick the uh, the matchups. They figure they can put on anything. Um, because they know they'll sell out the stadium, because they know that fans in England will go to these games, that there's more than enough uh, fans in England who will travel and throughout Europe who will come over to England yeah. um, to fill the stadium four times. It's not it's not a problem for them. The issue is that long-term, I don't know if you can keep that up if you keep sending bad games. There's only so much. I think we saw this week with the number of empty stadiums we had at the, at the stadium Jesus, season. When yeah. people, people don't want to go and watch bad teams. They don't want to pay money. And particularly, you'll be find it, I think they're going to find it harder and harder to get American fans to travel if these are the games they keep putting on, if oh, these yeah. are the demotivated fan bases that keep being chosen to do these games. Like, people don't go to Cleveland games, don't go to Rams games, don't go to Jacksonville games. You had a great one about the Browns, I think. Oh, yeah, the Browns this week. They had uh, they had less than half of their stadium full, so they couldn't even half fill the stadium, even though the price of tickets had dropped to $1. It was costing a dollar to go to the game, and people were choosing to not go to the game. Like, that is how bad it is in Cleveland at the moment. And the other thing as well is that apparently they're migrating back towards the later games, which makes it more difficult for people who have, say they want to bring their kids to the games, or they're not living in London, they want to be able to get away so they can go to work on the Monday. That's going to make it more difficult for that. I think this is setting up to be a pretty dodgy combination of things for the, for the whole NFL UK football in, the, in, in London type scenario. What about yourself, Fitz? Do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, well, it doesn't help, of course, that the two mandatory teams are the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Los Angeles Rams. Neither team which really inspires a lot of hope or a lot of interest at the moment. Although that could change with LA, as we'll discuss uh, later on. Um, So that's kind of two of your home games taken away with teams that don't really excite you. 
And this year they added Cleveland as one of the home teams. And like Miami, while they've been improved this year, still aren't really what you would call like a, a blockbuster team. So like the, the only real hope you have in terms of like good games coming out of this or like good teams coming over is one of the good teams being dragged over by one of these bad teams. Like even in that case, you're getting probably a lopsided fixture. There's kind of an intrinsic problem with the teams who have effectively become the London, the annual London teams. And then with these other results, it definitely feels like the teams who are coming over are those teams who maybe feel like they might struggle to fill a stadium this year. Like at Miami, maybe there's been a, like a pivot now. Maybe this is something that they agreed to earlier on in the season when they weren't looking so hot. And it's definitely a sense that like we might as well fill out London, get a good chunk of change out of that, rather than having to deal with half-empty stadiums. I think there's a lot of factors here where the NFL hasn't really paid attention or had to, had to groom like this international series in, in, in London for a while and kind of fields can basically just get away with whatever. We'll see if that comes through. I imagine it will be true for a couple of years, but I think as Harry intimates, this isn't something you can probably get away with on a consistent basis unless people actually know there's a London franchise coming in the, in the actual near future. There's only so long you can string people along, basically. Yeah, no, of course. Now, looking at, the, looking at the games as they stand, it's probably New Orleans and Miami that will be the most attractive to anyone who's looking at them. I have a feeling that possibly Arizona at LA could be enjoyable if there's significant changes in the off-season uh, there and if the, the Arizona Cardinals get themselves back together. Yeah, stop blaming the weather and start a... Yeah, well, basically, like you get to see David Johnson and LA have a talented roster if a piss poor coaching scenario. Uh, in some uh, areas, in some areas, like not not across the board. But it's interesting actually because we're just about to talk about one of those changes. Uh, Jeff Fisher has been fired uh, after the point which would define it as yet another losing season. Also, the point which tied him for the losingest coach ever. Uh, so they decided they couldn't even let him have that. They were going to fire him before he gets there. Uh, John Fassel, the special teams coach, is now acting head coach. He had a very interesting message to the media today. He said, uh, oh, I'm just a special teams coach. Then all of a sudden, there's hundreds of cameras here. I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm not surprised, John. I'm not surprised. Like, it seems that Jeff Fisher wasn't full of shit. And he was like, we're on record set, on record pace on our punt team. The special teams coach has just been made the head coach. Do you think it will exact any change in them, Harry? Well, no. <laughs> I mean, look, th- this is this is a short-term fix. They've said that the guy's going to hold down the fort for the rest of the season, and then we're going to take it from there. I think they know the season's over. I don't think there's that much rescue for it. I don't think Fassel expects himself to be the head coach here or anywhere else uh, come next season. So it is just a patch it over and get on with it kind of thing. Uh, a little disappointed they didn't just go into fuck oh, fucking blow it up mode and make Greg Williams the head coach. Yeah. Because that would have been hilarious. Fisher... <laughs> I'm sad that he didn't get the record. Uh, it's another case of Silent Stan not wanting anyone to have anything nice. Yeah. But it had to be done uh, at some point. Not quite sure why they did it now. Maybe some kind of statement of intent. Probably because it was starting to hit them in the wallet. Probably because they were seeing those half-empty well, stadiums. Yeah, well, like, Fisher was fighting with um, the old Ram Dickerson, is it? Eric Dickerson, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then that was turning fans against us. Dickerson, probably as big in LA as the Rams currently are. So, uh, like, that was probably hurting them a bit. Now, I'm also actually reading up on this chap, uh, John Fassel. Very interesting chap. There are three pieces of information about him online. He played wide receiver in college and I think lasted, like, a year knocking around rosters, not making any of them. His father coached the Giants to the 2000 Super Bowl, which they lost. And he once rescued a surfer who was drowning. Hmm. That is the entire content of his Wikipedia page. So that is how I do my research. What did yourself, Fitz? This is your division. Um, any surprise? The fact that it happened on a short week 
before a Thursday night football game against the Seahawks. It's probably the only surprise. Like, that's really bad timing, and it doesn't really say well to the organizational capacity of the organization. But in, in general terms, no, this isn't the price. Jeff Fisher was shit. He's been shit for a while. Traded vast amount of picks for a quarterback who didn't play for the most of the season and who was having Case Keenan played instead of him. Like, Jeff Fisher's entire philosophy towards football is drudgery. It's like, we'll trust Case Keenan because he's a steady pair of hands. Steady pair of hands who can't throw the ball downfield without getting picked off. Steady pair of hands who's no good at football. And with one of the best defenses in the league, he still managed to have, like, in terms of personnel, they still managed to only be, like, tent, like, near, like, near the middle of the pack than the top of the league in terms of defense. The offense has been anemic since he started. They have done nothing on offense. They haven't been good in any of those years. They pay out money to people like Taylor Austin, who has no way shown any first-round pedigree. And overall, this is just it's just a team that was bad from top to bottom in terms of organizational uh, structures, in terms of player acquisition and talent evaluation, and to the game plans every week. Like, Jeff Fisher has, and his LA Rams were consistently in our dumpster fire. There was a good reason for that, and uh, good riddance, and hopefully we'll never see the likes of him in the league again. Yeah. I, I want him to come back for one game to get the record. Yeah, he needs to get the record. Yeah. He deserves to so, be the losing his who's coach. The, who's the oldest coach in the league? Who will ret- Oh, yeah. Pete Carroll. <laughs> yeah. So we got word as well. We we mentioned this uh, in reference to another shooting this year, but uh, Carlo Hayes has been convicted of the manslaughter of Will Smith. This is the previous incident last year where Will Smith was shot after a road rage incident in a similar area to the Joe McKnight shooting. So good to see justice served. I still always question whenever they give out manslaughter where someone literally took out a gun and shot someone in rage. That's uh, murder in my head. Louisiana but. has some, some weird... Let's not get into this, but Louisiana has some different murder laws to most states because mm. uh, a lot of the legal system is based on French law rather than all would be based on English law elsewhere. Yeah. So they have different... Each state has slightly different categorizations and uh, Louisiana has a very strict, even for second-degree murder, categorization versus manslaughter normally. So this isn't perhaps that much of a surprise. Fair enough. Uh, but I, I, I agree, like, coming from a general expertise, understanding of what manslaughter is is a little bit of a little bit of a surprising verdict. Mm. But uh, definitely, definitely, at least, yeah, like you said, good to see justice done. Hopefully this will bring at least some level of closure to uh, to his family and loved ones. Oh, of course. Uh, Dequel Jackson's got a four-game suspension now for performance-enhancing drugs. The linebacker has been performing probably better the last couple of weeks. I wonder why. This is obviously going to have a knock-on effect uh, for the race for the uh, for the AFC South. Uh, Fitz, what impact do you think Dequel Jackson's going to not have, I suppose? Like most teams, this would be somewhat of a hit, but for any of his Colts, like their front seven is just so talent deficient that losing a solid playmaker like Dequell does have a big does have a big effect like it just increases the pressure on Andrew Ruck, increases the pressure on that offense and the defense had shown a little bit of improvement but as we'll discuss later on like this week they seem to regress a little bit so you know I, I don't think it's like you know losing like uh, like a key like a, like a domino piece that causes the rest of the defense to fall apart but I don't think this is the defense can afford to lose even you know good contributors Never mind, average ones. Arizona's Michael Floyd has been arrested on a DUI charge. Uh, is this going to have a big impact on the future of Arizona this season, or is it kind of a fait complete for them anyway? Well, I think it's, it's obviously uh, it's pretty much over at this point, and Floyd, to be honest, hadn't contributed as much as people had hoped this season. Some NFL players and DUI charges, like, I don't know, I don't know how it keeps happening, but. Like, you've got enough money, <laughs> just get a fucking taxi. I know, right? Most of these, these organisations literally have people on staff. 
to if you if you go out and have a drink, someone will pick you up. If you go and take drugs, someone will pick you up. There's no like they've got entire systems around this because they don't want to pay millions of dollars for a guy and then have him decide to drink after a couple of beers and then get thrown in slammer. Like it's just it boggles the mind sometimes. Yeah, it, it it's is a contract ridiculous. year as well. Just, just so you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a contract year for Michael Floyd. So maybe he just wants out of Arizona. Uh, it's like there's a couple of teams I'd like to go to, but my stock's too high. <laughs> I, want to one, I want to be a number one wide receiver. I'm going to Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just can't wait to play in London for the next five years. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a we had a big note against uh, this one. Harry in particular mm. was not happy with this. This weekend, I think, was a number of very very blatant blatant miscalls and non-calls by referees uh, like we've discussed this on previous podcasts they are going to bring in the full-time referees and stuff but like even things like we discussed how simple it would be to have non-white cleats at all times they managed to make the mistake of calling someone out while they were in bright orange and black cleats <laughs> so that doesn't seem to fix the problem of them getting that stuff wrong like we had balls placed god knows where missed recoveries like Harry, tell us a little bit about some of the ones that stood out for you this week. There, there are three ones that really stood out. One of them you've already flagged was Delaney Walker against against Denver, uh, where he caught what was a lateral, I think, in the end, um, broke a couple of tackles and went into the end zone. They called him out at the five-yard line. Replay showed that he was clearly not out at the five-yard line. The refs were like, oh, but because we blew the play dead, we have to not let the play stand, so we have to move him out at the five-yard line. Now, that's a... Uh, so the stupid old yeah, archaic rule. a rule that makes sense most of the time, but needs some contextual tweaking for plays like this. But also, like, it's stupid because nobody stopped playing. Nobody stopped playing the whistle because the guy was trying to go into the end zone. It wasn't like when the guy picks the ball up and runs the pitch with nobody around him. Mm-hmm. This was still a competitive play, and he was diving for the end zone with a guy diving at him, which was nuts. So that was a first blown call, and that was just ridiculous, like you said. There was no way you could have called him out. And to be honest, I've also seen them not... You know, they overturn these things a lot of the time. I don't know why this one decided to be different, but I, I don't know. Very strange. Then the one, the fumble recovery, wasn't quite at the Duke Johnson level, but was still pretty bad. Uh, Ryan Tannehill fumbled a snap uh, against Arizona. Jai of the Dolphins jumped on it. Uh, then about five uh, Arizona Cardinals players converged on top of a Jay. They ruled the that it was Arizona football, even though on the replay it showed very clearly that a Jai pulled the ball in, covered it up, had it in his arms, and, and that, then was jumped on and touched. And that was reviewed as well. It was. It was reviewed. So both these ones were reviewed. Mm-hmm. Both these were lengthy reviews. And the ref still got it wrong at the end of the day, which is just mm-hmm. crazy. Because they're like, oh, we can't overturn the call. Because you know, it's like, there's clearly enough evidence here to overturn the call. And at some point, you can give the ref all the help in the world. But when they're making just terrible judgment calls, you can't do anything about it. And the third one is, even, is there's also a judgment call, not a reviewable play, but one of the most egregiously terrible pieces of refereeing, um, which was in the uh, Detroit-Chicago game where a uh, Chicago defensive player put his hands to the face, grabbed the face mask, of uh, Detroit offensive lineman. Now, I was it's wrong. His name's written Glasgow, but I think it's pronounced like Glasgow or something like that. Yeah. It's very, very weird. The referee called the... Pa- not out of any, like, saw the wrong thing. Just got confused and called the penalty on the Lions. <laughs> now, as it was, it didn't matter. The Lions still managed to convert the series. Uh, and this was one that even the NFL couldn't defend. They came out and were like, yeah, this is a fuck-up. But, it, like, how is it that the referee calls it on the wrong team and then nobody on the crew or nobody in the ground or nobody in New York is able to pick up the phone and be like... You've literally just made the a mistake, wrong like, team. Yeah. That, that's just baffling. And at a certain point, you have to hope the professionalization, you have to hope 
that this uh, full-time ref thing becomes some kind of magic bullet because you've got all the technology in the world, you've got all the support in the world they have now, and they're still making really obvious blown calls, yeah. of, like not even close situations. I don't get it. There was um, there was one, or, there was two that I liked a lot, just in the uh, in the Jacksonville game, where people say like, you know, the only way to watch Jacksonville is you sit there and you go, today they're going to find a new and inventive way to lose this football game. They managed to do it this time. They had two penalties, one of which I don't think has been called for nearly twenty years against them. So one, they had a delay of game on a kickoff. <laughs> which pretty much never happens but the one that I thought was brilliant and just try and work this one out false start on the quarterback now Joe Flacco got that called on him yeah, last night as well yeah because uh, you can't move you can move anything in your upper body yeah. but you can't move your legs to pretend the ball has already been snapped and you can't be moving forward as the ball is snapped so I think it's going to like to stop people like kind of snapping to running running backs or yeah. whatever so it's the same as a running back but yeah it was just it was very strange that they had these these two archaic ones kind of called and then that one called twice if, if that one point conversion thing ever happens then probably as it is you know it's going to be it's going to be them it's going to be, like, going to be them uh, it'll, it'll be phenomenal We've got Le'Veon Bell as well had a hell of a day. I remember I, 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 I went to the bathroom, I came back and I was like, lads, are the, are the numbers I'm looking at on my phone correct? And they said, Connor, stop talking to us about what you do when you're in the toilet. And I was like, but I'm looking at statistics about Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell set a record 236 rushing yards, uh, just shy of 300 all-purpose yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he had 42 touches on the day. Like, this was insane. Fitz... Like, how are you meant to defend against a player who can put up these kind of numbers? have to try, but it's very difficult. Buffalo's defense has actually been on a bit of a slide uh, on the back half of the season, so isn't the best defense. But I think a lot of credit for this has to go to the Pittsburgh O-line. Like, they've definitely improved throughout this entire season. And the one thing about Lev Bell is that if you give him good offensive line play, he exploits it to the max. The way that he dances in the backfield, the way that he patiently waits for the hole and the play to develop is basically without precedent in the league right now. You know, when you think about players who, like, dance around a lot in the back, you think of panicky players like, say, LaShawn McCoy, who is capable of really good plays, but also capable of stuff for a loss of, like, five or ten yards sometimes. Lebel, he always knows what he's doing. He looks so calm and so composed. And I think, you know, if he was the only good player on the offense, maybe you could just stack the box and get away with that. But, of course, you have Antonio Brown waiting there on the, on the sideline, like, willing to get all the yards in the world if you do that. So I think that, like, the Pittsburgh offense, we're well aware that they probably have the best triplet of quarterback, running back, and wide receiver in the league. I think with Lev Bell, he is probably putting together a case of maybe as a marginal offensive player of the year candidate. Well, this is, uh, this is, this is the thing. If you, put in, if you put Tom Brady into that discussion and Tom Brady missed four games, then you have to allow Lev Bell into that discussion as well. If he has, if he has another like, over 200-yard game, I don't think you can avoid it. Uh, but I think there has been a lot of really good running back play this season. Like you're taking David Johnson, you're taking DeMarco Murray, you're taking Ezekiel Elliott. In, a, in another year, I think he would have a much stronger chance, but I think just because mm. of that like uh, surplus of really good running back play, he might miss out on those awards. Not that it'll matter if they make the playoff running him uh, for over 200 yards a game. I will say that obviously these, these awards tend to get you know more focused on the later half of the season, but it is worth remembering that while Bell has looked phenomenal, he has also had quite a few rough games, New England, Baltimore, the Jets... The point is, is that it, it'll be interesting to see how much that weighs on the decision. Oh, yeah. If the offensive player of the year, you compare him to like Zeke Elliott or David Johnson, mm-hmm. who haven't perhaps hit quite as high a point, but have been much more consistent 
over that period. Oh yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it bounces out at the end. But it is it's just one that it's it's a rare occasion to see someone performing enough and Tom Brady's in the same bracket that even though they missed three or four games, they're still like, well, they could still be in the running for this. Uh quick rundown of some of the injuries that we've seen. So uh for Miami, Tannehill has sprained rather than rather than torn his ACL, MCL. So there's a chance to be back in either week 16, 17, or the kind of at the latest they expect it to be for the playoffs if they make the playoffs. Uh, obviously, this means Matt Moore is in for them instead, uh, who I haven't seen since their season on Hard Knocks. Uh, I, I was genuinely surprised to find out that he was still there. So this is obviously going to harm their chances, isn't it, guys? Like, let's be fair. Like Tannehill isn't one of the best quarterback. They've had time to play around with him. They've had time for him to develop. And Matt Moore hasn't played in, in like over a year or so. So I think it definitely harms their chances. But perhaps with the way that team has been structured around trying to not expose Tannehill, perhaps it, they can survive this for a couple of weeks. But it's a terrible time considering that they need to be winning games. Thankfully, get the Jets this week, so maybe he'll be back after that. Yeah, no, hopefully. Uh, Detroit, Matt Stafford has also dislocated his finger. He's playing through it, playing in gloves. We saw the fabulous statistics. So, uh, he's had four glove changes this week. Uh, this is a career high for him. Very exciting time. Stafford did look not as solid on that on that injured finger, but he still you know, managed to do an okay job. Uh, what do you think the impact of this is going into the back end of the season, Harry? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it affects them. The Lions haven't been a massively high-scoring offensive juggernaut this season mm. uh, in the way they have been before in the days of, of Megatron and when they had uh, that sort of combination of Joy Bell and Reggie Bush, both sort of at the very tail end of their prime prime patch. It is, of course, a problem because the run game still is, is, is a bit dodgy, but really this is a team that's been riding pretty exceptional defensive, d- defensive play for a while, so you figure that they can keep doing that uh, until Stafford gets better. They're probably going to be looking over their shoulders a little bit nervously now with Green Bay getting hot all of a sudden, but you think they're still in a pretty strong position. Really, really still need to win another couple of games well, that's it, to get that's into the playoffs. It. Giants JPP is a sports hernia. He's out for six weeks, so he's gone, essentially. Because um, even though if they get to the playoffs, it'll be difficult for him to be back in time for him to actually be having meaningful snaps. Uh, obviously, this is a big shot to their pass rush. Uh, they are still getting some production out of the other players, but this is going to hurt them down the stretch. That said, didn't hurt them this week. Uh, they still they managed to... found some undrafted rookie on their squad who yeah, tore it up I know uh, I think someone will get randomly selected for a drug test this week anyway <laughs> um, but yeah obviously a big loss but we'll see uh, if they can fill that hole with uh, with this with this rookie uh, Minnesota Harrison Smith he's done his ankle he's probably gone for the season uh, does this make a massive impact on them Fitz? Yeah like, like Harrison Smith like he's their safety he's part of one of the better defences in the league he's been a very solid uh, probably even better than solid like a very good uh, safety Like one, I think he was considered among like the top five safeties in the in the league, so I think it does affect them. Whether we believe Minnesota really had a chance of going down the stretch and actually making uh, a wild card, or perhaps even still competing in the NFC North, it's another question. It's another hit against a team that really can't afford any more of those. So, uh, but we'll see how they, they they perform without them. Yeah, no, of course. And finally, San Diego, uh, they had Bosa and Gordon injured. Bosa's apparently okay. Gordon has a hip slash knee strain. Uh, he's day to day, so we don't know whether he's going to be played or not. This is also kind of folding in time for the back end of their of their season, with the exception of they'll probably want to win what will possibly be the final game in their stadium. But um, we'll see, day well, to day. Don't forget he's also like, what, 28 yards off the thousand? Uh, oh, he's not. He's, he's, only, he's, he's only like three yards off yeah. it now. The tree? Okay. Yeah, so, like, real close. he'll want the play. He'll want the play. He'll want to get that thousand yards. But yeah, sure, we'll see how that goes. I'm sure they'll let him in just to get that and then maybe sit him from that point <laughs> onwards. Uh, it wasn't like they, they weren't getting much production from his backup, so I must say. So I suppose with that, we'll move on to the games from last week. 
so up in the ring of honour this week is the Monday night football game, Baltimore at New England, 23-30. to uh, Patriots held off a surging Baltimore team in the second half, overcoming some special teams mistakes to move to 11-2 and solidify themselves at the top of the AFC. Tom Brady threw for over 400 yards and three touchdowns, with uh, Chris Hogan being his favourite target this week. Uh, Baltimore failed to get anything going on the ground and uh, fell short, even though like they did manage to diversify their offense they hit over they hit 11 different targets in the passing game so that was good to see from them a little bit more dynamic but they weren't able to get over the hump against this very strong new england team so harry you've just defeated the the number one defense in a number of categories uh there's no issue in the passing game solid defense with the exception of uh like with the exception of cyrus jones you must be a relatively happy man yeah, I was I was delighted with the performance to be honest with you. I, it was a game where you know I think the scoreline flattered Baltimore a bit. They were very very tough and they played like very well for large parts of the game. But like New England were phenomenal again. Aside from those couple of horrendous special teams plays, uh, really w- would have been running away with it. Uh, we have to credit Baltimore for the way they fought back into it. Before I get into that, by the way, how happy were you? At that uh, Tucker's kick getting blocked. Oh god, fuck Tucker! Like uh, the only downside is like it would have it would have been entertaining to see the to see New England drop a game and then like have a proper race for the number one, number two. True, true. Well, that's the but, case. Uh, but yeah, like fuck you, Tucker. Fuck yeah, it was, it was great play actually. Um, bizarrely, like we actually did some good things on special teams as well. Like that was that vault hmm. by Shane McClellan to block it. Whenever we were kicking, Ryan Allen had a very good game punting. But it was interesting because Devin Hester obviously is incredibly dangerous. Mm. The amount of times Devin Hester called a fair catch with Matthew Slater six inches from his face, mm. like did a really good job of locking that down. It was really a three-phase thing, which is obviously that's a very Belichick thing. You get the special teams right and everything will go right. And as you saw, the special teams go wrong and the team goes wrong. But defensively, it was great. Baltimore hit a load of targets. So that's because Devin McCordy did a great job over the top taking away the deep ball to Mike Wallace. Uh, got an interception that way on what was probably a mistake by Wallace, but also had a couple of breakups uh, and sort of took that option away a lot. We also saw Baltimore went to the short passing game and the swarming physical way that defense played. We ran a lot of like cornerback blitzes, disguise coverages, linemen dropping into into coverage that really confounded the attempt to run a short passing game against uh, against us. Where you know we're not with Jamie Collins gone, that was our top coverage linebacker. Now you've got guys like Ninkovich and Hightower, who are good, but that's not necessarily their strength, were able to do it really, really well, take that away, not so much through uh, being able to make things incomplete, but by just basically getting to the ball carrier really, really quickly, playing very, very physically and aggressively. Uh, and also credit to Carl Van Noy as well, who did, who's since coming over from Detroit has been very solid in the middle of that, uh, considering, considering where he was, where, what he was thought of beforehand. And on offense, it was just a masterclass from Brady. He did make a couple of mistakes. Obviously, the interception was completely avoidable and uncharacteristic for him. We just threw it up while he was getting hit. Uh, he did do a couple of through intentional grounding as well while he was getting hit, and uh, had a couple of a couple of um, strange throws. One on a completely busted screen to Malcolm Mitchell, where he was already basically being tackled when he threw him the ball. I should have. But aside from a couple of those errors, it was brilliant. We spread the ball around. The offense spread out. And I don't mean that college spread style. You know, in that kind of five wide receiver sets or four set with a, uh, a running back flaring out as well and just created matchup problems all day long for a Baltimore defense that is very, very good but was, in fairness, missing a few pieces at cornerback but exploited that. Um, we had, Hogan is fantastic as a deep threat and it was great to see that when Edelman was having a relatively off game for him, had a fair few drops and missed a few catches, guys like, for example, even James White and obviously Martellus Bennett were able to step up into that role in the absence of Danny Amendola 
great to see this team doing what it wants to be like. That kind of do-your-job mentality that Belichick tries to inspire is coming through. And like I said, there were parts of this game where it didn't. But when it did, the team was next to unstoppable because there was always one guy getting open, even if everybody else was covered. There was always one guy able to make the tackle, even if everyone else was beat. And that's what New England can do so well. And that's what makes this team so dangerous, Mm. is when you've got a guy like Brady, and if you can get a guy open, he's going to hit him. And I know that's really, really simple, but that's what New England do. They run simple concepts out of out of complex formations, and Baltimore were not able to live with that today. And the defense, this was probably one of the, despite the score, this is one of the better defensive performances we've seen mm-hmm. from New England against a team that was coming in, uh, running hot on offense all of a sudden. No, of course. Now, Ronan, uh, this puts the Ravens one game back from the Steelers. They have the division record over them. Is there still life in these Ravens in the hunt for the AFC North title? And if so, how do they spark it? Like this was a bad game, but it is against one of the best teams in the NFL. That's not the type of team they need to be beating to make the playoffs necessarily. Uh, they still have to play the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's probably the pivotal game, and has just become more pivotal due to this result. Um, so I think in terms of what they need to do, uh, firstly win. That's always helpful. Uh, but like the, the back end of their schedule, there's that massive game against the Steelers, but the other two games are against the Eagles and the Bengals. Those are two very winnable games. And I think they're good enough to do that. If we're talking about like Super Bowl potential, we can talk about that at a different time uh, if they make the playoffs. I think in terms of this team in general, there's just the kind of feeling that it's, ever since Joe Flacco got that massive contract, there's kind of been a sense that this team has been spinning the wheels and you're kind of having to patch it together each year. And they've just about managed to do that because you know John Harbaugh is a very good coach. They're a very good organization. They have a good GM. Uh, but I think the GM, uh, Ozzie Newsom, while has been good in free agency, has probably fallen a bit flat in the uh, draft. See, like, you look at this defense, and you have, like, Terrell Suggs, Eric Weddle, you have, like, Elvis Dumerville. These are all players on the back half of their careers, and you're not really like, okay, we're building something here. And then on offense, like, the offense doesn't really make any sense. Like, this is supposed to be a zone-blocking scheme, yet they don't trust Terrence West, they don't trust Kenneth Dixon to make the, you know, decisive, the decisive cuts that are necessary for that scheme. And so they try to turn to this incredibly short passing game, which doesn't really play to the strengths of Joe Flacco. Like, Joe Flacco, he's a decent quarterback. Like, he does good things. Uh, but I think, like, Joe Flacco's at his best when he has a complimentary running game and when he can make big plays down the field. Like, he's got a rocket of arm, and he's got a like, good accuracy down there. And I think we've seen that. Like, Mike Wallace has had a good season. Rashad Perryman has had a decent season. And when they're allowed to do that, that's great. But they're asking him to do lots of small yards, you know, like four or five pass yards. And that doesn't suit the personnel that they have. Anyway, like Dennis could have had one good game this season. That doesn't suddenly mean that you should be playing uh, towards your tight ends. And like Steve Smith is good, but you know, obviously he's a bit passive. So in terms of this team, like they've got the coaching, they've got the culture, and they have enough talent that they can definitely challenge Pittsburgh. But would you put your money on that? No, because there's too many deficiencies, there's too much age, there's too many question marks, and there's a kind of sense of this team. It's kind of putting it together on the fly, uh, to a certain extent, especially in offense, and I don't think that's going to be good enough when you're coming up against the offensive juggernaut that is the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 16. And I think that they'll lose that game, and that will probably kill not only the chances of getting the AFC North, but the marginal uh, wildcard hopes that they would have. So, like, I, I like I would never count out the Ravens. They're too good of a team, with too good of a coach, and with enough talent to do that. But like right now, it's not looking great. So that'll take us to the neutral zone, where we've got Denver, Tennessee, a 10 to 13 Mayfest. Tennessee eke out a win against the Super Bowl champions to keep their playoff hopes alive. 
Broncos fall to eight and five, and with a tough schedule ahead, will probably struggle to uh, to repeat uh, their performance in the Super Bowl last year. This is not a strong performance from either team, uh, particularly on offense. Mariota went six of twenty for eighty-eight yards. Uh, Simeon thirty-five of fifty-one for three hundred and thirty-four yards and a touchdown. Like. You don't want to take a young quarterback like Timmy in and have him throwing 51 times. Like, that's just a recipe to lose. Big difference in the run game. This was remarkable to me. We've got 42 carries for 180 yards versus 9 carries for 18 yards. More worryingly, the 9 for 18 yards involves a long of 9, which means that there are 8 rushes for 9 yards. To be honest, while, while it was a highly relevant game to the playoff hunt, I find this a tough watch. The Broncos are regressing very rapidly. The Titans did barely enough to see them off. Uh, Ronan, Pats, Chiefs and Raiders are what's on the slate for Denver. Is there a way that this team who puts up 10 points against Tennessee can compete for a wildcard spot? Or is the season essentially over for them? Similar to the Ravens, it's kind of a situation that this is a good team with an elite defense. So the defense... You know, held the, the opposing team to 13 points. If you can't win a game where you hold the other team to 13 points, you know you don't really deserve you don't really deserve the win. But like the Denver Broncos' entire season, have they've kind of been a bit up and down. And I think their biggest issue right now is they need to sort out the run game. I think you alluded to that. But like you know, they brought in Justin Forsett, who has a lot of experience in Gary Kubiak's zone blocking scheme. But he fumbled on his first carry. That's not a great uh, sign. Devonta Booker. While he started off okay, has slowly declined and become less and less useful. And so they ended up having to put it on Trevor Simeon, who, you know, has shown progress and has definitely been adequate this season, but probably isn't good enough to be a, you know, a true carrier of a team, even though they have a fair amount of talent in the offensive, uh, the offensive uh, core, receiving core. But, of course, when you, when you talk about the team, you can't talk about what I'm talking about the defense. The defense is still elite. They probably, if not the best, one of the best players in the NFL on the defense, Von Miller. They have an elite secondary, they're no fly zone. So if you have an elite defense, which can shut down teams and let them score like less than less than 14 points, then yeah, I do think they have a chance. Like I think in that case, that means that every game is going to come down to random lucky chances. Can they create short fields of the defense through interceptions, fumbles, etc.? It's an incredibly risky way to play. But it's pretty much how they played last year while they were carrying the, you know, the still breathing but not really alive corpse of Peyton Manning. I think you're definitely right. It's going to be incredibly difficult for them. But with a defense this good, you still not, cannot count them out. And I think if they can get the run game going with Forsyth having another week to prepare, then that would give them some of the balance that they might need. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but I wouldn't count them out yet. Uh, we did that to our, own, to our own cost last season. Uh, I, I, I shouldn't make the same mistake too prematurely. This season as well. Did you hear the uh, Did you hear the great joke about the Broncos this week? No. The biggest problem they have is even when the run game isn't working, they still try to force it. Oh, <laughs> that's awful. That's awful. <laughs> Harry, this Tennessee team are competitive because AFC South, but no real quality wins. I went back look through, and it's all like kind of Browns. Their best win was maybe against the Packers, and the Packers were in a tailspin. Um, they've got Chiefs, Jags, and Texans to go. They're up against the Texans, who also have the Jags to play, but have, I believe, the Bengals in lieu of the Chiefs. Does this come down to that Week 17 matchup between Tennessee and the Texans, and do they have the personnel to get it done? 
I, it probably does, although God knows with Houston. Mm. It's hard to tell with that division, isn't it? Um, but you would you'd be inclined to think that that's going to, be the, that's going to be the critical game. At this point, it's hard to say who'd win. What we have is, for, from Tennessee, again, this is typical of Tennessee, like the defense is good, it's underrated this season. They did very well against Denver. Um, and you'd imagine they'd be able to do something similar against Houston. But the, the offense has been slowly getting worse, I think, this year. And while, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's very difficult to judge entirely based on that, uh, against, against that Denver defense, they did have problems, massive problems in the passing game. And as bad as Denver can make teams look, like only going, as you said, 620 for 88 yards, that is symptomatic of a perhaps slightly bigger issue. Uh, and you're looking at, like, I think uh, to a large extent, Mar- Mariota being limited in some ways and the receiving core being not really all that great. So once again, they turn to the run game. And the thing is that this team is, they can run over anyone, really. Uh, they've got the talent to do it. They've got Murray. They've got Henry. Mariota's a dual-threat guy. Like, there's the potential there. And I'd like them to be to go there ahead of Houston because I think as we've expressed in this podcast, Houston are just an ugly team who just we don't like watching and the, but the other thing about Tennessee is that they're they're they they figure that the defense works and they're coasting on that to a large extent. It's like they the coaching staff doesn't seem to have that much confidence in Mariota in tough games. And while he certainly didn't uh, give any reason for confidence here, once again we saw Tennessee, as, as we've seen them do several times, go out to a small lead and then completely shut down and try to sit in it for the rest of the game. And it nearly didn't work. Mm. And they were in some ways lucky to get away from this win. If they do try and do that against the Texans when it matters, when everything is on the line in that divisional matchup, that could backfire horribly. So, while Tennessee, I think, has surprised us by being a little bit better than we thought uh, last season, the defense has certainly surprised, particularly the run defense, has surprised us uh, very positively, although there's still problems in the pass defense. Um, and while we've seen some improvements in some aspects, that Murray has been very, very good this year, as they hoped he would, you still got to question the coaching, the play calling, the decisions being made. It's making them get into closer games than they need to. It's making them rely on their defense they don't seem to entirely trust the team in front of them, and you do worry that that's going to catch them out when it matters the most. So I would be incredibly uncomfortable calling the AFC South at this stage. Oh yeah, you just don't know who's going to turn up and how they're going to play. What makes me worried is that there's going to be a very, there's probably going to be a very relevant AFC South matchup in Week 17 that we're going to have to watch, which Ooh. is not a. <laughs> Speaking of, let's move on to the dumpster fires. There was another game that deserved to be here this week, the 49ers versus the Jets, but none of us could bring ourselves to talk about it or ever remember it ever again. It is now scrubbed from our brains. Why did those teams make us play over? Like, one of them should have just given up. Been like, we're just going to concede a safety, let everyone go home. Just please let us go home. So, because we don't want to go go back to that kind of horror show, we're going to look at Houston at Indianapolis. A terrible game that has some actual relevance to the rest of the season. Both of these teams were fucking awful. Uh, Brock also was atrocious, 14-24 for 127 yards and an interception. Luck was poor as well, 24-45, 276, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Lamar Miller had an okay game, 170 yards and a touchdown. T.Y. Hilton as well had an okay game, 115 and a touchdown. He's now second in the league behind behind Julio, isn't it? Like that's that's he's really silently having a great season. Um, this was anemic, sickly, boring, tired, messy football, and one of these teams might very well be in the postseason. Although Houston won, they were the worst team and definitely the less appealing team to watch. Uh, Brock Osweiler is fucking joke shop like just a waste of money um so Fitz um do you sign Fedorowicz long term trade your wide receivers stock up on running backs and linemen uh and kind of go all in on this rebuild or do you just blow it all up 
Unfortunately, due to monetary reasons, uh, they will probably stick with the same thing, especially if they make the, the playoffs. So it's very unfortunate. Well, let, 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 let's, let's be a little bit positive first. Is Fedorowicz a $50 million tight end? That's what I want to... <laughs> no, he's no Gary Barnage, that's what I'll say. Look, like, let, let, let's discuss the good thing first. Let's talk about like the defense of the, of the Houston Texans was very effective. They got to Andrew Luck. The pressure that they got on him was, was very impressive, and they got a good couple of picks based off that pressure. Like it's it's good to see uh, Whitney Merciless get a bit more recognition. Uh, he's probably been one of the best underrated defensive players in the league. Probably for the fact everyone's like, oh, it's good JJ Watt. It's easy to be good when you're JJ Watt. I think this year he's shown that he is an elite defensive line uh, defensive lineman. And Jadavian Cloudy is actually showing uh, some of the the promise that we might have expected uh, when he was drafted number one overall. Every game this season, he's made one or two plays that you're like. No one else in the league could make that. Even perhaps J.J. Watt would struggle if made that thing. He's just a beast when he's on his game. But there's the positives, okay? The negatives. The offense. Now, let's be honest. Most of the offense is okay. It's none of their fault. It is Brock Osweiler's fault. Because Brock Osweiler is a complete waste of space. I am pretty convinced that the Brock Lobster would actually be better if they taped the lobster to his head. A lobster would probably have better ball security and be able to hold onto the ball better than Brock Lobster can. A lobster, with its eyes on the end of two tendrils, might actually be able to see the entire field and not just focus on, in A, their first read, or B, their tight end. It's like Brock Osweiler, unless he sees his wide receiver wide open, like screaming for the ball within one second of his read, he basically is like, where's Ryan Griffin? Where's Fedorowicz? And basically, if they're not open as well, he'll run around in the pocket pretending to be Peyton Manning. It's like it's almost like he, he's like, oh, Peyton Manning would like move around the pocket and be agile. But instead, he's just like panically like jumping around until he gets sacked. He does, now, he, he does look a little bit like he took his like his advice on what to do from that scene in The Simpsons where he puts on the buzzing football games. Okay, you just rotate in the middle until you fall over. Yeah, like, and like in, in this game, like fair juice to Bill O'Brien, he's like, it must take all of like the big bag of Bill Belichick tricks to scheme to actually get like receivers open to have to go so hard to ensure that the play like the, the like that the actual play design is such that the first read is actually open because if the first read isn't actually open he's screwed uh, so yeah like for the few plays that they actually do want to pass uh, obviously giving it to Lamar Miller probably nine times out of ten a better decision. So, like, Brock Osweiler is just, like, tanking an entire team. A team which, on paper, should be a somewhat exciting team. They have DeAndre Hopkins, probably one of the best wide receivers in the league. They've completely wasted them, especially the second half, where they've thrown the Fedorowitz more times. Yeah. Lamar Miller, he's not a great running back, but he's a decent running back. There's no reason why this team couldn't be entertaining. There's no reason this team can't be good. They have a head coach who's likable, who's certainly talented. But Brock Osweiler is a black hole of terribleness who's pulling this team down and will probably continue to, for monetary reasons, pull them down for another season, which is destroying the potential of creating an actual, genuine, entertaining and good AFC South team. So for that, it is unforgivable. Oh, 100%, 100%. Like, they are they are tethered to that weight for the next, at least next year and a half anyway. Uh, Harry, this game probably signals the end of the Colts' attempted run at this AFC South now that they're another game back in a worse in-division record. This is another lost year for Andrew Luck, so what's this franchise's kind of medium-term aim here? Like, if you look at this over the next three years, they've squandered several years of Luck's career already. How are they going to try and turn this around? What do they I've got a five-point plan for turning it around. Sack Pagano, 
Sack Pagano, Sack Pagano, Sack Pagano, and Sack Ryan Grigson. Uh, the, 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 the coaching in front office is a problem for this team. They got Andrew Luck. They struck gold with Andrew Luck. Uh, whatever else you think may think about Andrew Luck, he is a phenomenally talented quarterback. It is ridiculous that he is being wasted behind an O-line that is getting him killed, a defense that is aging horribly, and the young players are not coming through for them, and a wide receiver core that, let's face it, outside of T.Y. Hilton, the reason T.Y. Hilton has so many yards and so many targets is because everyone else on that team's offense is, at best, average. There is, he is the only real weapon they have. Frank Gore is, is so old. and it, the, the, like Frank Gore, like okay, fair play to Frank Gore. He's, he's grand. And he's remarkably good for somebody with his age and, and the amount of tread he has on his tires. But he can't carry a team on his back like other running backs can, like younger men can. They, they, that, that, so Andrew Luck has to do everything because they have to rely on the threat of Luck to get this running game working. So the problem is, is that he's now, and we said this at the end of last season, he's just trying to do everything himself, and it's not working. He's firing off these ridiculously bad arm punt interceptions every now and again because he's under pressure, because he needs to do it, because the team's in a hole, because they need they need to get something going, and it, it's not working. And you have to blame the coaching staff and the front office for not being able to get anything really around him, for not being able to um, draft players who can who can do things, or even scheme, and like, like Ronan said, with, with Bill O'Brien, who's got a much worse quarterback but other talent, to scheme a way to make it work. And Pagano has failed to do that um, consistently. And it's a shame because, you know, Pagano obviously came through some very difficult stuff a few years ago and it's a great story and so on. But at the end of the day, you have to look at it and be like, it's, it's not working here. Maybe, maybe you're better off somewhere else. Maybe you're better off in a different environment. But right now, with this team, uh, with these, these players, it hasn't worked. It's not going to work. You haven't turned it around. And at the end of the day, I think the, the responsibility has to fall on his shoulders when they lose games like this against bad teams who are doing nothing on offense you know Brock Osweiler isn't a threat you, you have to stop the run you can't give up uh, 100 yards to Lamar Miller and another 50 yards to Alfred Blue you can't do that if you want to win and this team is just not capable on either side of the ball of playing smart enough and well enough to do that the change uh, will have to happen on the pitch ultimately in terms of the talent but the change will have to cut beforehand will have to come at the levels above that because that's the reason that the, the level of play, the style of play, and the talent on the pitch is is deficient. It really is as simple as that. Yeah, no, 100%. It is it is a scenario where it just, you keep, you, you actually feel bad for Andrew Luck looking at it and just kind of going, look, whether you like him or loathe him, he's, he's better than what we're seeing out of Indianapolis over the last couple of years. Um, so I suppose on that cheerful note, uh, we're going to move on to the questions from some of our listeners. So, uh, this one comes in from Zach Simons. He says, Pro Bowl voting ends today. Who's your top choice for the Pro Bowl? And who's a surprise one that you expect to see making it in there? Uh, so, I suppose, Fitz, Pro Bowl hype! Pro Bowl hype! <laughs> <laughs> Started already, Jesus. We are we are very, very Pro Bowl. <laughs> it's ASC versus NFC this year, so... Oh, but... Back, back to the old classic. Back to, back to how it's meant to be done. I, I'm just excited for the dodgeball. I'm actually legitimately excited for the pro ball because they're going to play dodgeball. Dodgeball. Yes, and there's also going to be like um, like passing skill competitions. And stuff. It should it, actually be quite yeah, cracked this it, year. It should be. And this is what they used to do with the skill competitions. I'm really glad they're bringing that back because it's like, yeah, nobody cares about the game. Players don't care about the game. Mm. That's some fun. Dodge, if you can dodge a drug test, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. But, yeah, so I suppose... Um, do we want to look at this? Do we want to look at this as uh, actually for the football playing part of the Pro Bowl, or like the like? I'm looking forward to seeing Vince Wilfork in the still quarterback competition. Like, 
Have you seen videos of Vince Wilford passing in practice? He's got a good arm, actually. I've, I've seen him throw baseball pitches. I haven't seen him throw football. You can imagine a man with that heft can get quite a lot of force behind a ball. Yeah. I don't about his accuracy, but he's throw it high and hard, like. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, so I suppose, in terms of Pro Bowl, who would you like to see land in there at the top of their position, say? the Pick, pick a position and pick who you think is the best there. Can I talk about Marquette King? Well, yes, we can talk about Marquette <laughs> King. Start into Marquette King, so. Go on, so. No, genuinely, I, I, I look, you've heard this from me before, but uh, I don't know. I'm excited about punters. I'm just excited that I'm excited about punters. It's just really cool. Like, this is just, again, it's a guy who's brought, I think, and this is why I think the Pro Bowl thing is particularly important, is that it's a guy who's actually brought a bit of fan recognition into that position mm-hmm. that doesn't normally get a lot of fan recognition. You see with these things like uh, punters, kickers, special teams, specialists, and even O-linemen to an extent, that the Pro Bowl is just dominated by the same guys you're on your fullback will be another one, mm-hmm. regardless of how they're performing, because people just pick their team, or they'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, that guy's, you know, I- I've heard of him mm. on the commentary. He, he, He's been he, around he for turns a while. up on PFF at the top of every week or exactly. something. So it's like, whatever. I, I honestly, I don't think most Pro Bowl fans are, are even that educated. It's just, it's, it's name recognition. I think guy like King. What are you trying to say is, about me and Ronan? We're <laughs> Pro Bowl fans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, no, I, I, that's what part of why I think the Pro Bowl is actually a pretty cool piece of recognition and why I'd like to see that happen is because this is a guy who I think has made a lot of effort to connect with the fans in a way that you don't normally see from that position has been like, yeah, I'm going to have a bit of whatever they call swagger or whatever. I'm going to mm. say, yeah, I'm having fun doing what I do. It's going to be cool. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be, you know, it's, it's not just another bloody punt. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? The Pro Bowl, I think, is the perfect, actually perfect kind of recognition for that because of the fan vote, because you're like, look, he's doing it really well. Mm. He's, he's entertaining. It's engaging. Uh, we probably didn't care. Let's send this guy to the Pro Bowl. Let's all vote for him because we know him now, because we know what he can do, and because we think he's a great lad. And that's what yeah, I like, I like that, you know? I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing Mike Evans at it, uh, mostly because I'm just I'm, I'm kind of half creeping myself thinking about like having much better quarterbacks throwing to him, the kind of fun things that they could do with that. Like I'm trying to think who's 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 likely to be the quarterbacks there, uh, like Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. But yeah, so I was just trying to think because like the New Orleans aren't going to make it, and Green Bay are an outside shot. So those are two excellent quarterbacks who could be just having a bit of fun throwing to giant lanky receivers. It'd be great fun. Uh, I think that'd be good crack. Um, like to an extent, I would like to see uh, Tyreek Hill landed there, just because I think it would be fun to see him do returns where people don't even try to tackle. <laughs> but also that'd be kind of like using the was it you know Tech Mobile? Um, oh, Bo Jackson. The Bo Jackson yeah. cheese on Tech Mobile. Um, but yeah, what about yourself, Ronan? Yeah, like even though defenders generally don't, like it's not an ideal place to see defenders. I think inside linebacker, uh, I would like to see Bobby Wagner get recognition this year. I think he's had a phenomenal year. He's added a bit of uh, pass rush, a bit of a homer pick, but I think like with uh, Keekly out this year, I think he's probably been the best inside linebacker in the league. Uh, and in terms of surprise, I'd also go inside linebacker. I think Zach Brown with the Buffalo Bills has been a huge surprise. Wasn't even meant to be starting. Uh, Reggie Ragland was drafted there. But he's had a you know like a, basically a very underrated season. He's like been a very solid. I think it's just a good story to kind of see those players get some recognition. So it'd be nice to see if he get a chance to, to make the Pro Bowl. Obviously, it just ends up meaning a lot more to players like that uh, who a won't be in the playoffs, but b a year ago might not even considered would have considered being on a roster being a victory. So mm. for me, those are two players. Even though I don't expect that they'll actually do much if they end up in the Pro Bowl. Since defense doesn't matter. The surprise one for me is I guarantee that people are going to be stupid enough that like the top voted defensive player is going to be JJ Watt. <laughs> I don't think he's on the ballot 
unfortunately. Well, we'll see. Let's actually, I forgot my surprise one. My surprise one is actually also an inside linebacker. Uh, is quite, yeah, I know. We're, 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 we're all going to focus on defense for Pro Bowl here, but... Yes. Uh, this, is, well, this is a surprise one. Quan Alexander, who mm-hmm. I don't think actually has that much recognition outside of Tampa Bay, has been this way. I actually probably disagree with Ronald. I think Wagner's probably the more talented player. Quan Alexander, I think, has been the best middle linebacker in, in the NFL this season. Like, his numbers are eye-popping in terms of not only his, his, his attacking machine... But if you look at like his ability to uh, play in coverage, pass defense, and also organize that defense around him, he's been remarkable. And this is a guy who had a very good rookie year that was then derailed because it turns out he was having a good rookie year because he was on steroids. Came back, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, assume he's clean, and is still playing at an incredibly high level. Uh, but I just don't think that's a name, re- and a name recognition guy. So I'd like to see him in there, but I'd be surprised if he makes it. Yeah, so what we'll do, uh, Zach, is we will uh, probably do a lot more coverage of this kind of build-up to the Pro Bowl. Uh, <laughs> We'll have a couple of Pro Bowl only episodes just for uh, just for us us Pro Bowl hypees. Um, yeah, yeah, Pro Bowl uh, <laughs> should be good fun. Poor Harry's got his head in his hands here. Uh, it's okay, Market King will definitely make it. But yeah, thanks for that. Uh, we're going to swing on to the games for next week. Uh, so first up, we have uh, the LA Rams traveling up to the Seattle Seahawks. LA Rams are the new uh, coach. Seattle Seahawks with an axe to grind. Uh, Harry, we've taken Seattle across the board. Why is that? No, Jeff Fisher. They, they don't have the jinx anymore without Jeff Fisher. That's um, it. Look, Seattle have been struggling, but as much as you know, well, the Rams match up well against the Seahawks, this is a Rams team on a short week with a new coach against a Seattle team that really needs to get its shit together and a Rams team that just has absolutely nothing to play for and is probably totally demotivated. So I just can't see the Rams being anything other than total chaos and Seattle should be able to take this one. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Miami at the New York Jets. We've all taken Miami across the board. Fitz? Yeah, Bryce Betty, he beat the 49ers. That's pretty much all he's going to get. Miami, they have a lot to play for. They're a good team. Uh, They'll probably run over the Jets by, you know, breaking contain because that's all the Jets allow you to do. Amazing if you just go inside the box, otherwise terrible. So yeah, Miami, better team, more to play for. The Jets, yeah, they're dead. So, yeah, give it to Miami. Fair enough. Cleveland at Buffalo. We've taken Buffalo across the board. Why is that? Because uh, Cleveland are awful. Buffalo aren't brilliant, but Cleveland are awful. Um, Detroit at New York Giants. This is Ronan's game of the week. We've actually got disagreement on this. Uh, I've gone Giants. Harry's gone Detroit. And Fitz has gone Giants. Tell us a bit about this game, Fitz. Yeah, like it's an intriguing one. Like I think a week ago we might have expected that the Giants were maybe on a downslope after a pretty bad shellacking by... Um, by Pittsburgh, but then they turn around and beat the, you know, what was the best record in the NFL in, in, in Dallas. Detroit, they won the record for the most four-quarter comebacks, even if last week they seemed to manufacture it just for the sake of getting a four-quarter, a four-quarter comeback. So, yeah, like you have two teams who I think people are kind of like, of the teams who are doing well and who, are, who have a decent shout at making uh, the playoffs, these are probably two of the teams that people have the most doubts about intrinsically. So the New York Giants on offense have been pretty anemic with the exception of slant routes to OBJ, uh, who continues to basically carry what little offense there was. Like Eli Manning was trash in the game against Dallas, uh, but he had one control to OBJ and he saved the day. Uh, but their defense has really stepped up. This is one of those cases where a massive amount of investment on the defense has actually worked out. Olivier Vernon has hit, like has been on the field constantly. He's created pressure. Uh, and even when they brought in the rookie, uh, he still looked good and he carried this team. Uh, like Snacks Harrison has really shored up that run defense, which wasn't very good last year. And Janoris Jenkins is probably one of the most underrated signings of the season. Uh, he's turned into a real lockdown corner yeah. for the Giants, and they needed him. Uh, but in Detroit, 
it, like Detroit, you know, they, they, they've had a lot of games. They've done a lot of things that means they shouldn't have won. But you know what they've kept doing? They've kept winning because Detroit seemingly right now just has a bit of that look. Maybe like all those years of like suffering have been distilled and the, and the coin has turned. And like it all comes down to the fact that like their defense, the, the defense has actually become a bit more solid, especially in the last month. And I think uh, like Ziggy Anza has helped a little bit with the pass pressure. And of course, you can't talk about Detroit, or I can't talk about uh, Detroit, but I'm talking about Jim Bob Cooter's offense, which has turned like Matthew Stafford from one of the most erratic deep throw throw it to Calvin Johnson in like quadruple coverage into one of the most efficient possession passers, short game passers in the league. The big question now, of course, is that Matthew Stafford playing with a you know a dodgy hand. Will he be able to continue to have the same anticipation? Will he be able to play through the pain? And I think, I don't think so. With the New York Giants, there's going to be so much pressure. They're going to need every, they, they would have needed every advantage in this game to really make me consider Detroit favorites. And I think that little extra, like that part, that a problem that they're playing away from home uh, and that Matthew Staff is now playing injured means that I'm probably going to plump for the Giants. Uh, like I'm going to plump for the Giants in this game. But I think it's a really interesting game between two teams who could either like flame out, although it's looking less likely in Giants, I think they have enough record to probably get away with it, who could flame out or could very easily go very deep into the playoffs and potentially into the Super Bowl. Yeah. Philly at Baltimore is up next. Uh, we've taken Baltimore across the board. Why is that, Harry? Uh, Philly are just in a very rough patch at the moment. Baltimore, while they you know didn't look uh, amazing uh, last week, still fought very, very hard and showed that this team is a very tough team to beat. Uh, they have a lot to play for still, chasing Pittsburgh, Philly, have, basically their season is over. So you have to go with uh, with Baltimore here. Yeah, uh, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, we've taken Pittsburgh across the board. Uh, Cincinnati have had two decent games, but one of those is against the Browns. Pittsburgh, we talked about them earlier, their offense is firing on all cylinders, their defense is looking better and their line is looking good. I don't see how this Cincinnati team, even at home, are going to stop them. Uh, Indianapolis at Minnesota next. I've taken Indianapolis and you two guys have taken Minnesota. I suppose, uh, Fitz, why, Min- why Minnesota? We saw this week that a good defense which can get pressure on Andrew Ruck can affect them and can get picks and turnovers from them. I think even with the loss of Harrison Smith, Minnesota defense is still very effective. Like they'll have enough pressure up front to make Andrew Luck's life difficult. On the defense, Indianapolis are very bad. Maybe that will be enough to give and, and lack like the ability to get to the passer. I think they'll still get some pressure because it's the Vikings' offensive line. But like I think we might see Sam Bradford that we saw earlier in the season with a bit more time, a bit more comfort, and actually able to get a few passes to Stephon Diggs, uh, Adam Thielen, and, uh, and the tight end, Kyle Rudolph. So, yeah, like, I'm going to take Minnesota. I don't think anyone would be confident in either of these teams in any given game, but mm. we'll give it to Minnesota at home. Yeah, like I'm saying, not massively confident, just thinking Indianapolis, they need to string some bits together. They're still, I think they're closer to being in the hunt, really, than, than Minnesota are, um, because AFC South. Um, but... Yeah, like, I don't know. They're missing pieces, but they've got Andrew Luck. I'm probably going to shade it to Andrew Luck in this scenario because Minnesota, while looking a little bit better over the last few weeks, are still shite by comparison to what they were at the start of the season. So, yeah, Indianapolis, why not? I also need to get some games back. I'm like a mile back on this picks game. Uh, <laughs> Green Bay at Chicago. We're taking Green Bay across the board. Why is that, Harry? Well, it turns out Chicago have one good player, uh, Jordan Howard. Uh, everyone else is terrible. Uh, no, that's not fair. Pernod McPhee is pretty good, too. But, yeah, the Chicago are just... Season's gone to shit. They're playing Matt Barkley at quarterback. Green Bay have hit their stride. Rodgers was absolutely phenomenal last week and pretty good a couple of weeks before that. 
So you've just got to, like, yeah, like, Green Bay should be able to uh, to basically throw all over the Chicago team. Yeah. Um, next up, we've got uh, Tennessee at Kansas City. Uh, this is my pick of the week. Um, we didn't mention this in the injuries just because we'll be talking about it now. Derek Johnson got injured during the Thursday night game, uh, ruptured Achilles, so he's out for the season. That was kind of the middle linebacker that kind of was the anchor of the run defense which means it's a potential issue against this game so in this game we'll be looking for loss of DJ and how that'll affect the run defense there's a very exploitable secondary in Tennessee so I'm looking for decent sized games out of Hill, Kelsey and Macklin uh this is a huge game, as we said earlier, for the FC South as well, because uh, Titans have Casey Jackson Houston to play, uh, so expect them to come out firing, because if they could win this, it would be a big step, because uh, because their competition have to play Cincinnati instead, which is a far more winnable game than KC uh, would be, especially at home. I want to see as well, things that I'm looking for here are Andy Reid to keep the playbook open longer, uh, to see if he wants to try out a few things in this game, kind of get the team ready for what's going to then be a tough final two, two, two steps on the on the stage. I'm expecting a fairly comfortable KC win. I think we're all, we've all selected KC in this one, uh, not, not least because they have the additional rest as they played on Thursday night, so they have the extra time to get ready for this. Um, so so focus on the run game, see how the run defense looks and see what they do to, f- to plug that hole, whether it's Sorensen or whether it's bringing in another inside linebacker or what, what, what they do, but I'll be intrigued to see it. Next game up is Jacksonville at Houston. Um, Fitz has taken Houston, Harry's taken Houston, I've taken, oh God, no, why is this <laughs> happening to me? I suppose Houston. Yeah, why Houston, Fitz? Well, Houston are good at two things. Wasting DeAndre Hopkins and beating their fellow AFC side scrubs. Jacksonville are trash. That probably helps. Uh, so even though Brock Osweiler is the worst thing ever since, well, now that Jeff Fisher is retired, well, you know, fired slash retired, um, yeah, I think Houston have a way more talent than Jacksonville and have way more to play for. So that should be enough. But yeah, it's sad, so who knows? Yeah, it's a shit. It's a shit show. New Orleans and Arizona. Uh, I've gone New Orleans, and you two guys have gone Arizona. Harry, why Arizona? Wait, have I? Oh shit, I did pick Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> you can swap it now if you want. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I probably said the same if I picked New Orleans. Look, just at the moment, what we've seen is, is a Saints team that's kind of, as their season slipped away from them, has kind of responded. Essentially, by acting as if the season has slipped away from them, uh, they've I think Breeze has six picks and no touchdowns over the last couple of games. They've really, really struggled offensively. Arizona are a team that has also struggled, but are I think a more angry and motivated team in general. Um, I think this is a very winnable game for them at home. And what you're and the, the defense is still like reasonably good in a lot in a lot of facets. So I just think it's going to be it's a difficult game for a team in a difficult position. Um, so I think in, the, in that kind of situation, to not pull a fizzle or anything, you kind of have to just give the edge uh, to the home team and the team that seems to be playing with a little bit more fire at the moment. The, see, the problem is I wanted to pick Arizona as much as, as badly as the New Orleans offense has been playing, but then I just kept having flashbacks just how piss poor Carson Palmer was playing last week. I was just like, oh, and it's another pick. Oh, and he's fallen over. And I just I can't get a handle on this Arizona team. Uh, and I know the New Orleans team aren't great, but I've seen them put up big scores before, so maybe they do it this time. Uh, to be honest, it's a, it's, a, it's a mostly irrelevant game, uh, but it could be. It has the potential to be a really high-scoring, fun one if uh, if both teams come out firing. Uh, I don't think they will. I think this is going to be just like falling into each other, like drunk at three AM <laughs> in a nightclub. Uh, San Francisco at Atlanta. We're taking Atlanta across the board. Fitz, why Atlanta? They already schooled LA, got one coach fired. Let's see if they can repeat the task. It'll be tougher <laughs> to get Chip Kelly fired since he's only there a season. But yeah, Atlanta, uh, they've got a good offense. They show that they can survive against these like 
scrub teams without Julio Jones last week. Uh, well, it helps if you know the other team just gives you the ball on the first play. But you know, San Francisco are trash, terrible team, possibly the least talented team in the league, and they, they like they lost the Jets. Come on, like. You can't give a win to the team who lost the Jets. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. New England at Denver. They've taken New England across the board. Denver have looked weak. Uh, they've got a good defense, but their offense is terrible. New England are good enough to exploit that, uh, even though they're away. I I find it hard to see New England losing this game unless the travel uh, uh, or they aren't fully prepared for it. Like I can't I can't see a scenario when I can pick this Denver team to be a better team than this New England team. But we've got we've taken New England across the board. Um, Oakland at San Diego. We've taken Oakland across the board. Uh, Fitz, why is that? Yeah, San Diego have really gone off the boil, and Philip Rivers in particular has been making some questionable decisions. Oakland, even with the finger problems associated with Derek Carr, are probably one of the better teams. Are, are one of the better teams in the league. I think that should give them over San Diego. Like San Diego can always bring a surprise on you, but Oakland, they're a better team. They have way more to play for. Obviously, competing uh, a to win their division, possibly win the first seed uh, or second seed. So yeah, gotta give it to Oakland here. Yeah, of course. And next up, we've got Tampa Bay at Dallas. I've gone Tampa Bay. The others have gone Dallas. Harry, this is your pick of the week. Uh, tell us a bit about this game. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. This was very hard for me to call, to be honest with you. Um, this, these are two, as we've, I think, discussed multiple times in the podcast, two young, exciting teams with an awful lot of talent and are well-coached, playing well, and in the case of Tampa Bay, have, have, have adapted really well through the course of the season and grown in a lot of ways. Uh, particularly defensively, Dallas we've seen grow in a lot of ways offensively. So really interesting matchup there. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm giving the edge to, to Dallas here is... We're basically looking at a, a situation where you're coming off a disappointing uh, defeat, but one where you know your defense actually played quite well. So that was the supposed weakness of this team, and you've got to think that with guys like Dak and, uh, and Ziggy Elliott, that the Giants game is more of an aberration than anything else. And this team has a lot of talent, and they're very reliable. We saw Prescott make a few mistakes. We've seen him make a few mistakes this season, but we've always seen him bounce back from them. Tampa Bay are a team, particularly offensively, like you never know when they're going to do something stupid, and they are riding that defense a little bit at this point, um, playing within themselves in a way that's sometimes smart, but sometimes a little bit too cautious. So I think the key, the key question really is whether or not Dallas are going to be able to take away Mike Evans, because barring Mike Evans, the receiving core in Tampa Bay is decimated. I think last week they were trying out Arena League players. They don't really have anyone there. They've got a lot, a lot of injuries, and there's like special teamers and backups are playing for them pretty much at this point. Uh, the run game looks a bit better now, with obviously with uh, Sims back uh, to give them a little bit of something extra on top of on top of Martin. But Dallas have been, you know, reasonably reasonably good against that kind of stuff. Dallas embody this kind of, I suppose, bend don't break cliche. They are not top of any stats in anything, mm. but they they don't let teams run away from them. They don't let teams drop a huge amount of points, and when they do, they're able to come back firing. Given Dallas's, um, what we've seen from Dallas so far this season, given their strength on the ground, given the fact that I trust that O-line to even against an improved defense really be able to do an awful lot, I think they'll, particularly coming off a game against the Giants where they were exposed a tiny little bit, it's like, okay, now we've got a better idea of things we need to fix. So for me, that I think puts Dallas in a slightly better place uh, than, than Tampa Bay. I think that it's just going to be a really, really fun game. It might not be a very high-scoring game, but it's going to be a fun game. There's going to be a lot of talent out there on the field, but I, I think Dallas are just, just good enough to shade it at this point. Mm. Yeah, like, yeah, to be honest, I just picked Tampa Bay because I think they've been playing well recently. Their defense has been quite strong. And also, I'm not that convinced that Dallas have played many strong defenses at all this season. 
I think the best they played was the Ravens when the Ravens were just getting their stuff together. Um, so we'll see. Uh, final game we've got is Carolina at Washington. Uh, we've taken the Mazungus across the board. Why? Because Carolina are in a tailspin. Washington are trying to make their way to the playoffs. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, also, they're at home. So, eh. <laughs> why not? Uh, but yeah, sure, that'll, that'll do it for this week, lads. Uh, any plans for this weekend or anything like that? Anything fun? It's the season of uh, Christmas parties, so yeah. mine's on Friday. I think yours on Thursday. Yeah, in fact, in fact, after Harry, your, mine was uh, several weeks ago, and I was sick, so I didn't go. Okay, yeah. Sucked, yeah. I'm actually I'm going to one this afternoon. Well, I'm going for a for a drink to one with my old division in work uh, to say hello to them and then go home because I've got a man flu coming in. That's very <laughs> sad. We'll we'll pour out one for you. That's buddy. it. And then tomorrow is the brother's birthday, I think. Uh, so I'll need to get him his present somewhere. And uh, yes, uh, you, you'll be you'll be heading home soon now, won't you? Uh, yeah, well, have a few there's, episodes without your dulcet tones. There's a, there's a there's a chance I might not be around for the next episode or two. We'll see. Hopefully, I'll be able to call in. The problem is, dear listener, that uh, rural internet is uh, not so good in Ireland. Uh, and I'm going to carry than Donegal. Now, Donegal, we should be able to work because uh, we've done it from there before. As long as I sit in one specific room of the house and no one else uses the internet, <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like being on dial-up again. Uh, <laughs> No, we'll see. We'll see if we can work something out. Yourself, Harry, when are you breaking for Christmas? Uh, I'm not. I'm working pretty much the whole way through. Uh, I've moved all of my days to after New Year's and around then because oh, I'm going to need them more. And the start of Hanukkah is on the weekend anyway, the 24th. So ah, right, yes. and that means it'll obviously finish uh, finish up the end of the week. So I'm not, not, too, not too bothered about that kind of thing there. right now. No, no, that's good. That's good. Uh, well, I suppose, as always, uh, hit us up online for questions, comments, anything like that. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, Pinterest, etc. We're not on Pinterest. I'm sure we are. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure a fan has created some type of folk art involving us, and it's for sale up there on that, Pinterest. Again, that's Etsy. That's not Pinterest, uh, that's Etsy. Look, they're all the same thing. They're all on the interwebs. Um, also, one final note. We, we welcome all questions, but we don't need any questions about whether... Tony Robbins should be replacing Dak Prescott. Oh Stupid yeah, we don't need those. Those no. are. Uh... <laughs> oh, also, can I congratulate our? Uh, can I congratulate our fans on an excellent bout of shit posting this week? Uh, <laughs> Where somehow, as we were discussing the Cowboys, it became all about the Patriots, and then for a while, all about the Seahawks. Good hustle, good hustle. Like those are my sock puppet accounts, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but I suppose that's bye from myself, bye from Harry, bye, bye from Ronan. Bye. This has been all four quarters, and we'll catch you next week.